0: What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast. Favorite podcasts, the one and only Shula Bowl podcast, brought to you by the fine folks, as always, at Five Reasons Sports. You can find them on Twitter at the number Five Reasons Sports. Shout out to Ethan Skolnick, the CEO and proprietor, for giving us this platform. Eric Henry, FIU beat writer, SB Nation, Underdog Dynasty, joined by Mr. Handel himself, Mr. David Handel. And uh, we'll have a full episode for you guys. So I want to apologize to the FAU audience just due to the timing of everything with the hurricane and some travel. Did not, uh, was not able to reach out to either Kevin or Zach or Jake or, you know, one of the guys we're going to have on. But we plan on rectifying that. The owls obviously are, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, taking on the owls, as a matter of fact. <laughs> They're taking on a uh, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was I had a little brain Second, I was like, I was taking on a uh, wait a minute. The Owls. Yeah, um, they are taking on Rice at FAU Stadium. A not going to lie. Uh, I would not have thought coming into the year that this would be as pivotal as a game. It is as it is not only just for FAU, but in Conference USA in general, Rice looking to make a little bit of noise. They've got their offense. Going a little bit. Obviously, the Owls are recovering from some injuries and a uh, loss prior to the uh, the week prior to the bye week at North Texas. But David, we are going to jump into the FIU side of things first, as the Panthers are also uh, recovering team. I got a little bit of frog in my throat. If you hear me, pause. <coughs> Apologize. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, the The Panthers are are trying to uh, rebound after a loss. a 33 where's my stat broadcaster yeah 33 to 12 loss against the visiting yukon huskies on homecoming david let me quickly go through the recap and then i will tee you up for anyone who uh, didn't catch the game i mean I, this was not a flow sports situation as we had a laugh about last week this game was on ESPN3, shout out to AJ Ricketts and Corey Brooks. I believe Corey Brooks was on the call as well. Alejandro Gonzalez was on the call. 1140 Univision Radio in South Florida. Uh, listen, FIU had their chances. No two ways about it. FIU had their chances early on. I, I will kind of give you my um, you know uh, uh, overall perspective in a little bit. But I'll just do a little game recap here. As I mentioned, final score 33 to 12. The big culprit was the rushing game for UConn. Devonte Houston, twelve carries for thirty-five yards. Victor Rosa, sixteen carries for eighty-nine yards and two touchdowns. Robert Burns, the former Miami Hurricane, as the third stringer, the third string back, seven carries for thirty-four yards. Houston uh, ripped off a couple big runs. Actually, had an eighty-yard TD called back to a hold due to a hold. So, uh, just goes to show you that you know there were a couple plays that even were left on the field there, and he left the game, I believe, in the third quarter. Had a, a lower body injury, could not leave. Uh, could not leave on his own power. But Victor Rosa picked up right there and uh, continued the running game. And the big thing for FIU were the turnovers. FIU had their chances in the first half, specifically uh, on their first two drives. Grayson James goes twenty-eight of forty-three. He gets the start, twenty-eight of forty-three for two hundred fifty-six yards and two interceptions. One of which was a bit bad. Grayson even said that, you know, he just didn't catch the guy there. Um, I believe it was a linebacker. No, no, that was on um, uh, the defensive back the corner, Trey. I'm um, forgetting his name right now. I'm looking up in a second. But uh, the cornerback for UConn had two interceptions. On the first interception, though, which was crucial, uh, FIU just got stalled down there on the goal line. The FIU had three drives in the first half that made it inside of the UConn 37-yard line, but came away with zero points in the first half. That was crucial. Mike McIntyre said postgame. He felt that if the Panthers came away with three points, at least on each of those drives, that it may be a different ball game heading into the half. So uh, on, a, on a fourth down, Grayson try, scrambling, trying to make a play there. Mike McIntyre actually passed up what would have been a 52-yard field goal, did not get a chance to ask him about that in the postgame. I'll ask him about that during tomorrow's presser. Uh, passed up two opportunities for field goals in uh, in favor of going it and punting, and Grayson was picked off on the first attempt, and the second try, uh, Grayson just a, a bobbled snap that, that went UConn's way, so that really uh, more or less decided the game, I mean it was a 20-0 at, at the end of the first half, Flex Joseph got FIU on the scoreboard in the second half, but if it wasn't turnovers, it was penalties. Uh, it was a Demetrius Hill. I believe it was Demetrius Hill. It was Demetrius Hill or Jamal Potts. I believe it was Demetrius Hill uh, had a pass interference penalty on the goal line that extended a UConn drive and narrowed the cash. In it with six. That was a Rosa short yard score. And then, David, I'm sure you remember this one as well before I toss it to you. There, uh, the defense holds UConn to three. And what happens? There is a running into the kicker call. It was a fourth and four. The running into the kickers, five yards, gave UConn a first down. Victor Rosa cashed in again from short yardage. So that was really the tale of the game. And then the, probably the most uh, disheartening play, the, the play that probably summed up the game for FIU down there on the goal line. Uh, the first time they run this play, you see two quarterbacks in the ballgame for the first time all night. That was not a formation, not a package that UConn ran a, a um ran throughout the game so obviously you see that you know your your spotty sense has got to be going off FIU reads the play perfectly Jim Moore Jr. dials up a double reverse the end isn't able to bring down UConn backup quarterback Kale Millen and he throws a duck and boy was it a duck but it was a duck that landed in the hands of Zion Turner in the end zone the starting quarterback who caught his first ever receiving touchdown pretty much put the ball game out of reach from there so David, uh, first off, buddy, how you doing? Gave the quick recap. Uh, let you take away from there. Your uh, your thoughts on the ball game? Your thoughts on the homecoming crowd? Just uh, your thoughts overall?
1: Yeah, um, this one is a bit frustrating, Eric. Um, you know, like you've met you mentioned in the recap, it, it this was a game destroyed by mistakes. Uh, we essentially, I thought, really beat ourselves more than got beat, um, and you can look at the statistics. It's one of those that, you know, we outgained them. And pretty much everything, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I I know in total yards for sure. Um, But the story of the game was absolutely those mistakes um, on both sides too. The one you mentioned, the running into the kicker uh, early on, it it was was a big one at the end. You know, that fumble and that first drive, that first drive was fantastic for FIU. Ends up in a fumble. Obviously, Grayson has the two picks. Even at the end, I mean, the play for me that – uh, I thought right there was, was the game, and it was a bit – It was I don't know exactly what time in the fourth quarter, but it was third and goal, and we had the chance to cut it to a one-score game. And Grayson, you know, the wide receiver uh, – not the right The running back ran a wheel route, and he was wide open. Like, it is, this is a walk-in touchdown. Grayson just completely missed him. Um, you know, things like that are essentially – you know, why we lost this game, um, you know, penalties and mistakes. And it's, those are the ones that are the most frustrating because, you know, when you get beat, you get beat, uh, you know, you, you move on. When you beat yourself, it always is a, a tougher pill to swallow. So, yeah, um, you know, and especially it was a good crowd, a uh, really good crowd at the cage. Um, you know, it looked really good. And, and And you have the chance that you have a lot of, you know, people coming – Maybe even for the first time, you know, a lot of students, especially those freshmen probably showed up at homecoming and, you know, you go out and lose to UConn, but definitely one of those games that the score looks way worse than what, you know, it actually was. I thought the game was bad because of the mistakes and stuff, but it was also one of those that we could have absolutely won if we were, you know, we played mistake free football. So, you know, definitely a frustrating one. Obviously there were definitely some few injuries in this game. I'm, you know, I don't know if you've heard anything yet about Tyrese, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very frustrating to say the least, Eric.
0: Uh, to answer your your last question there, I have not heard anything about Tyrese. The last we heard is that Mike McIntyre would get with the training staff and hopefully we'll have an update tomorrow during his presser. Uh, Got to agree with you, David. Uh, let me give you this and, and, you know, toss it back to you. Um, giving you this perspective, I, I will say this. And uh, actually, you know, before I do that, want to give a quick
1: shout out, David, uh, would you like to give a shout out to your AD for listening to the podcast? Do I do want to give a shout out to Scott. Thank you for listening. Um, And, and, and thank you for, you know, everything you've done so far because I think that crowd is, is, you know, almost like a, how do you say it? Um, You know, I guess a testament to the work that they've been putting in, because you know, a lot of people showed up, a lot more than probably most people anticipated um, showed up. So it was a really good homecoming crowd, which is always nice to see. I saw a lot of returning Panthers, and you know, I saw the the account posted a few of them, like Roger Bell. Um, Roger Bell was there. Paul McCall was there. I've seen Sips Sips usually at the games now, but um, you know, it's it's just really good to see that. So you know, it's one of those that you wish we could have capitalized on, um, but you know. You know, you, I guess you, you got to move on, but it's definitely a tough one. But shout out to Scott. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, you know, you talked about the crowd. There was definitely a a really, really solid homecoming crowd. I believe the announced attendance was something to the effect of 17,868 paid attendance, uh, of course. But the actual physical bodies and seats was, uh, I think I said this in the in the press box, it looked like it was a bigger crowd than week one. And I'm sure that had a large part due to the people came for homecoming. It looked like it was maybe one of the biggest crowds I've ever seen in terms of you know (laughs) covering FIU. But yeah, back to game, David. Let me give you this perspective. I said this on the Conference USA podcast. Just taped that earlier today, um, and feel free to make of this what you want. The Western Kentucky game, and I think I I even wrote this too in the game um, game notebook. The Western Kentucky game and the Texas State game. Those are separate conversations here. I, I, I'm a firm believer that all losses are not created equally. The Western Kentucky game, Mike McIntyre won't say this. That was just a byproduct of one team. FIU was inferior to Western Kentucky. Like there's, That's no slide on the players. No, slide, I hope the fans understand what I'm saying. FIU right now as a program is inferior to Western Kentucky. Like that just is what it is. The Texas State game. Going into it, you see two teams that are rebuilding, and you would like to think that things would be a little bit closer. However, when you take a 10,000-foot view, David, while Texas State is still rebuilding, I think we just saw the the Saturday. They beat Appalachian State. So, A, if you didn't know I that... I was
1: just about to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, a, it's like, our loss is looking a little better. <laughs>
0: yeah. A, if you didn't know that, now you know. B, Jake Spavita has been rebuilding for like the past four years. So, this isn't year one of his rebuild. So, it's not all rebuilds are equal as well. So you can kind of make up those losses. Okay. Losing is not easy. And I've had, you know, a couple of FIU fans, you know, be dismayed and say, man, why, why are we so bad? Whatever. Like I get it. Losing is frustrating, but all losses are not considered, not, not created equal. UConn, David, this is what I, I, I want to say. and Hopefully it makes sense. If FIU had lost to UConn in the same fashion, they lost to Texas state right, where it was completely dominating from more or less start to finish. Then I would feel like, all right, you know, that's really disheartening. Both teams that are rebuilding, both teams new head coaches, both teams year one, and we look significantly worse. That wasn't the case here. I can make the case, I'm blue in the face, and I know I get accused of being the eternal optimist for, you know, for FIU fans, but if they get seven points on both of those drives, we might have a different ball game here at least a closer ball game than the 33 to 12. And if you don't have the, the, um, the roughing penalty or the running into kicker penalty that takes three points off and they end up putting seven on. That's a uh, quick math here. An 18 point swing. I think they missed a the PAT. Um, i trying to remember if they missed a the PAT, nevertheless, a 17 or 18 point swing. So David, does that at least at, from the fan perspective, is there at least any solace in that? Or is it still like, damn, we
1: lost thirty-three to 12 to UConn. Uh, I think there's a mix of both, and I'll I'll tell you why. First, I agree. I think this is a first of all. I think this is a different team than you know even Texas State or Western. I think they're playing. Besides, take away all you know the the, the dumb mistakes. Yes, the team itself looks a bit more in, in rhythm and together, and they're actually you know able to do more things as opposed to like they just feel like a different team. But the reason why it's still so frustrating is because while you know maybe they're looking a little better the mistakes are what cost us the game and that makes the loss even worse cuz it's we could have beaten these guys and instead it just looks like a really ugly loss cuz 33 to 12 doesn't look like a great score but if you watched it it was because you know we let you know we left points on the board or we turned it over in, in the red zone or or you know penalties that cost us from getting you know, holding them to three points and then getting a touchdown. You know, th- those are a bit more frustrating. Um, while the Western one was like, wow, this is really bad, this was more annoying because it's like, damn, we could have done it. Um, we could have been three, you know, we could have been with three and three um, instead. Or three, I guess, yeah, three and two. Um, but yeah, so I, I, it's kind of a little bit of both for me. Yeah, you know, again, I mean, I, 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 I um,
0: I understand a little bit of both and maybe this is, you know, me taking the 10,000 foot view as the unbiased, you know, journalist, but I, I, and again, I had my expectations of the team coming into this year. So the fact that for lack of a better, you know, cliche, like they kept fighting and the game wasn't, it it puts you this way, David, here's the most, the simplest way I can say it. Texas State, Western Kentucky, FIU looked overmatched. It, they look like an overmatched team on the field. They never looked that way against UConn. Are they going to look that way this Friday? Yeah, probably. But that at least leads me some hope, David, that once you get past Friday, the rest of the year they won't look completely overmatched. As, as the team grows, but unfortunately they're getting banged up. So, I mean, if, 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 does that make a little more sense? Or is it still kind of just like, I wish we won the game?
1: No, 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 I I totally agree with you, and I, I know exactly what you're saying. You know, besides the injury thing, because that does worry me a bit. But no, I I agree, and I'm and I'm glad that the team is finally looking a bit better. And definitely, this game, you know, you can go and say, <clears throat> you know, uh, like what you're saying, that the, the discrepancy wasn't there. Um, you know, this is the team that we could have beaten, right? Um, but at the same time, like you know, kind of saying, it may, it almost makes it more frustrating because it's I, I, like going into the season. This is one of the games that I thought we could have won. Um, But to join you on the optimistic side, I like that the team is at least looking much better than it did a couple weeks ago. You know what I mean? Um, And I think that there are teams that, you know, and I'm with you, probably not this week, but there are teams I think that we will play better against and, and, you know, show out and maybe even have a chance to pull off you know, an upset or something. Um, So that does give me, you know, a bit of optimism if we can get healthy, I think, you know, as the season progresses, you know, people are getting more comfortable in the systems and, you know, and you can kind of see that these last two weeks, like these guys are, you know, feeling a bit more comfortable with what's going on. Uh, they're more comfortable playing together, um, you know, so that I, I agree in that sense that at least there is a positive. Um, while it doesn't look like it, um, because obviously, you know, you want to win these games and, and it's, it's when you lose like this, it's a bit more, it hurts a bit more. But there is an optimistic side to it that like, yeah, like the team is at least looking a bit better.
0: So let's go ahead and spin it forward, David. Let's talk UTSA. Obviously we know, uh, well, I mean, we know, but for anyone who's not familiar, the Roadrunners, damn good team. Uh, I I actually think we probably should talk about them a little bit because I've seen some, uh, when I tweeted out the fact that FIU enters the week as a 33 point underdog, I'd seen some commentary being a little bit surprised. So Maybe we should do our job to educate the uh, the folks that they're on the Roadrunners. They are coached by Jeff Trailer, a Texas high school legend who has done an excellent job in three seasons at. UTSA they are the reigning defending conference USA champions and uh, went to a bowl game the year before that as well so really good program even though they uh the record coming in might not indicate just how good they are they did take on some really tough teams but as they get into league play expect them to uh, be really good they are coming off a 31-28 victory over western Kentucky they're led by quarterback Frank Harris who is the preseason choice for league mvp offensive player of the year and rashad wisdom who was the preseason choice for or excuse me the the, the runner-up for uh, preseason uh, choice for defensive player of the year so david um kind of you know <laughs> we can kind of give the nervous awkward laughter but uh what are we, what are we kind of looking for at least from the fan perspective uh as far as friday night
1: yeah um, uh, now I'll tell you this. Um, I'm I'm not shocked. I I know actually I was talking to my dad about this. He was shocked at the the, the spread, and I was like I, don't, I I don't know why. I don't think anyone should be shocked. I was actually shocked that it was that low. I thought it'd be higher than the Western spread. You know what I mean? Um, I, I've seen a, a good amount of UTSA games this year actually, um, and they are a very good team. And Frank Harris terrifies me. Um, I think he's really good. Those receivers are really good. It's going to be a huge test for, especially a lot of young DBs that we have. So, you know, I don't think anyone should be going into this game thinking we're gonna, you know, we're gonna win this game. Like this UTSA team is probably, honestly, not even probably. This is the best team on our, on our schedule. Like cool. I, I will go out and say that I think UTSA is really good. So, you know, I am just looking for, you know for us to, you know, put, at least put up a fight, right? Like, and, and, and that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm expecting a close game, but at least to go out there and, and, you know, put up some points, right. You don't want to get 73 to zero like Western. You want to see if, you know, we can put up some points on this team, you know, make sure, you know, see if the the guys, you know, haven't quit, right. They're, they're, they're giving it their all. That's essentially all I can ask for. Um, it's going to be a tough task. It's, you know, a very good team. and And it doesn't matter that, you know, they're in our conference, like they're, They're very good. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that we're able to just at least put up a fight and just, like, don't roll over like we did in Western. Um, You know, that's all I can kind of ask for. You know, it's at home. Hopefully it's a Friday night, you know. So, um, you know, let's see. Um, I'm hoping. I mean, I'm hoping if this is a a shootout, that would be fantastic. Um, But I think everyone should, you know, temper their expectations a bit. This is a very good team. And, obviously, we're dealing with a few injuries now. So, yeah, I am, uh, you know, hoping for the best, Eric, because <laughs> it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, I, I've said this to a few people, but I haven't
0: said it publicly. I think FIU, quite frankly, uh, uh, it, you know, uh, forgive me for the, the language here. They caught the shit end of the stick in terms of the, the scheduling, in terms of nationally televised games. I'm sure Scott would have loved, you know, the uh, New Mexico State game to be on a broader platform. Uh, yeah. unfortunately it's going to be this one. Uh, I kind of piggybacking off what you said, David, here's one of the things that not to put, you know, more fright to FIU fans hearts, but Western Kentucky, they run that offense really well. Um, and they were doing it with a first year quarterback in their system, that first year overall in their, and, you know, cause he grants with that at West Florida, but, uh, you know, still some new players. If you look at UTSA, I mean, Frank Harris has been in that system for a few years now. Uh, Zachary Franklin, JT Clark, you know, uh, uh, Brendan Brady. Uh, they have some injuries on the offensive line. Makai Hart is out for the rest of the year. I think he got a couple of guys banged up defensively as well. But still, uh, especially going against a young defense that FIU has, you hit the nail on the head. Demetrius Hill, who I plan on talking to him tomorrow to get his thoughts um, Hezekiah Massey's, uh, CJ Christian's out for the rest of the year, shoulder tear. But, you know, it's going to be like guys like Dorian Hall and, you know, Adrian Cole, and some of the uh, guys who've played a little bit to at least, at least step up and, and, you know, definitely provide a challenge. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be tough, man. I mean, guys like Keegan Davis, guys like Will Prendergrass, guys like, uh, Gaethan, you know, Bernadette and, and Don, I mean, Donovan, you know, is a stud, we know he'll, he'll show up, but for the younger guys, they're taking on a really veteran UTSA team. So that's really what I'm going to keep in mind. And on the offensive line as well, um, how are the younger guys going to be able to handle uh, some of the veteran things? You know, can uh, Grayson James avoid? Toss one to Rashad Wisdom. You know, how, how much of a factor will Rashad play as far as being the backfield? And, you know, things of that nature. And, of course, Tyrese Chambers. we we'll to see what his health is. So, uh, yeah, I uh, wanted to go ahead and give you guys the FIU side of things, but we will transition here into FAU. All right. To... Kick off the FAU portion of our podcast. We are joined by, uh, depending on who you ask, a, uh, a friend of mine. I think the it's a running <laughs> Twitter joke as to whether or not uh, we are friends. <laughs> but the fact that UCF that
2: right, Twitter legitimately thinks we hate each
0: other—correct. <laughs> UCF Twitter does not understand that when I throw jabs this man's way, uh, it, it's it's all in good fun. Um, he is one of my favorite young writers out there. He's going to do great things. And, of course, you know him as the publisher of Owl's 247. and also does fine work covering the American for One OneUnderDogDynasty.com,
2: Mr. Kevin Fielder. Uh, Kevin, how's it going tonight? You know, it's going great. Uh, it's week seven of the season. I can't believe I'm saying those words because it feels like it's been week two for the last six weeks. But <laughs> I guess eventually the season has to almost end. So the, the harsh reality. Other than that, though, uh, you know, weather is finally looking good in South Florida. So... Uh, you know, an excuse to wear a hoodie out every once in a while. I'm, I'm loving life right now. I did see you. Is that a, is that a FAU hoodie? Um, it yeah. is. Okay. It is an FAU hoodie. It's one of my like 16 hoodies. So.
0: Kevin, listen, you have a fine hoodie collection. It's one of those things that when I lived up North, I wish I had more of a hoodie collection. I wish I had your hoodie collection, but you know, I can't, I can't shade you outside of the fact that, you know, it's Florida. You only get to break it out what
2: <laughs> Three months out of the year. You know, you know, when I inevitably move, Further north, it's going to be amazing that I kept all these hoodies. Until then, just makes me look a little weird. Kevin, quick question before we jump into FAU things. You're a native Florida? I am, yes.
0: Okay. So, I mean, obviously, you know, FAU for college. So you've never, never lived anywhere else? No, I have not, actually. What is, two quick questions. What is the coldest weather you have ever
2: experienced? And have you ever seen snow? Oh, God, yes. I've seen snow probably like four times. So not a lot, but I've seen snow before and the coldest uh, I've ever seen is Finland, middle of December. Just miserable, just, just, just miserable. I, I don't know how anyone can ever live in something that cold because it was just flat out miserable. Uh, it, it was the kind of snow where like in the kind of cold where if you just stepped outside and stumbled a little bit and your hand touched the snow, you'd have to go back inside because you could not literally function. Uh, because it would just like be numb for like two hours, just straight up miserable.
0: The reason I asked those questions, Kevin, is I remember, of course, being a native Floridian myself uh, the first time, or well, really, I mean, when I moved to Chicago, it was the first time I ever lived in a cold weather climate. And for the first, geez, Kevin, like two months, um, I, no matter how many layers I threw on, I was always cold. Like I just was always cold. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And then finally, they looked at me and they're like, dude, you don't have gloves. You don't have a beanie, and you don't have a real winter jacket. Like head, hands, and a decent outer layer, and then that was a game changer. So that is why I asked the question. That and me trying to walk on ice for the first time in my uh, in my in my Kevin, get you gonna laugh out of this. Um, my my winter boots, which were actually just Tim's.
2: Uh, that was, that that's was, really on brand for you. Let's be clear. That's really on brand for you. For very honest. on brand, but not on because I busted my ass like 10 feet later while
0: carrying groceries. So. <laughs> Anyhow, enough of my, uh, my, um, experience in Chicago. We'll have to, you know, get JP Acosta on the pot sometime soon and see what his experience was like up there in the, uh, the Oh, he was the miserable. Country. He was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> to <Let's> be clear. <laughs> with that kev let's uh let's jump into some fau here of course we know the owls are coming off of a 45 to 28 loss at north texas in denton you know we're not gonna really recap that game it's been two weeks now i mean we got to deal with the here and now for the owls they are two and four one and one in the conference and in a situation that uh, they don't necessarily need to or or i shouldn't say necessarily they don't need to win their final six ball games to you know make a bowl but with that being said. Any expectations of what you thought might be a good season, quite frankly, probably could only be saved by reeling off six straight. So, Kevin, just kind of want to get your thoughts again, not necessarily about the North Texas, North Texas game itself, but just the, of, the, the state of Owl Nation right now,
2: and um you know, kind of what the feeling is heading into Rice. I think it's a little bit of like, oh crap, here we go again, because we saw what happened at the end of last season, where I figured it started really well and tempered off and lost god i believe like four or five straight to end the year and it was like you know that was bad you miss a bowl game so whatever and then you go into the season you have all these expectations and whether some of those expectations were realistic or not no time to get into that now because we're now in week seven but you know there were the expectations and then you start off pretty well with that win against charlotte and then you go two and four and suddenly it's You're two games away from a bowl game. You have not looked good on the road ever since Taggart got there. And especially this year, it's just been, you know, disastrous third quarter after disastrous third quarter, mistake after mistake. And so if there was ever pressure on FAU in the last, honestly, probably six, seven years, it's right now. Uh, You know, there is an an immense amount of pressure that wins need to come now. Uh, Wins need to come quick. And if you're going to have to, quote unquote, save the season, it's going to happen now. Uh, you know, it's why this this Rice game may not be, you know, might not be a must win in the sense of like must win to make a bowl game, but it's definitely a must win uh, for for momentum, for confidence, for, uh, you know, so many different things. You have to win this game against Rice because there's a lot of confidence that's being lost. There's a lot of pressure that's mounting from the fan base and there's there there needs to be results, uh, you know, where th- there needs to be wins on the on on the standings at some point. Kevin, um, I, I've you know I've had a chance to talk
0: to Willie Taggart a few times. Obviously, you talk to him on a regular basis. I, I have no doubt that he is you know putting a positive spin on things and you know being optimistic and focusing on what's ahead. But have you gotten a sense from him as far as what he believes has been kind of the major culprit in, in the four losses, or at least? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I guess we'll just say overall the four losses.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for him has just been. Uh, you know, it's been a mixture of coaching and, and you no know, mistakes from players. You know, you, you look at the North Texas game, there were a ton of drops. Uh, first play of the game, you have a drop that would have been a walk-in touchdown. Uh, you know, you have a dropped pick six. Like, there are just so many different drops on both offense and defense. You have penalties that are, you know, 15-yard personal foul penalties that can change, com- change the complexity of games. You have, uh, you know, all these different mistakes from players. And then from the coaching standpoint... Tiger just hadn't felt like they were simplifying things enough. And he he had felt that at times it may have been a little bit too complicated. And so when you looked at and when and when we spoke to him the Monday after the North Texas game, his biggest message was we just got to simplify things. We we gotta go in there and we we gotta try and figure out what we're doing that isn't working. And that was sort of the big focus throughout the bye week was how much can we simplify things? How much can we make it easier on, you know, a guy like Nkosi Perry to just sort of read the defense and not sort of have to read all these other things, you know. How simple can we make it for blocking for defense just uh, you know the simplicity of everything was sort of the main focus from from coach taggart from, from brent Deerman, from todd orlando and then the other thing was uh you know brent Deerman when he spoke to us uh on tuesday it was you know we just have to be better on third downs and that that's sort of i think a sentiment on both sides of football is you just got to be better on third downs you got to Stop letting the offense, the opposing offense, get to third and ones, third and twos, and you know, an offense. You just got to keep executing on third downs and try and figure out why you aren't doing that, and more particularly why you're not winning in third quarters, because that's been a big problem throughout the year for FAU. Evan, hot take here, and I'm not even going to
0: phrase it in, in the form of a question. I'm just going to give you the take, and you can tell me how fair or foul it is. There is something off with this offense in the sense that you have an offensive coordinator, Brenton Dearman, who obviously brings a very specific, um, you know, scheme in the way he wants to do things in Middle Tennessee. But you also have an offensive mind in Willie Taggart, who's done things a certain way. And you know, when you have a head coach and it's, you know, his ass is on the line. He may want to come in and, and start kind of tinkering with things and find and that those two factors are playing a huge um excuse me, those two those two forces or those two things, competing things are playing a huge factor in them finding an an offensive identity, true or false.
2: Yeah, I I don't disagree. Uh I, I think that this team has their identity and it's that they want to run the football. And that's something Coach Taggart had told us since he gotten hired in December of what, 2019, uh, I think it was, but you know, the big message then was, you know, we just have to, simp- uh, you know, we, we want to run the football. We have so many good running backs and they still have this, this, this room in the running back room with two or three guys that they can rely on and we can week out. The problem I feel like is, uh, and this is speaking as an objective, just, you know, film viewer and, and what I see with my eyes, it's, it feels like it's sort of this weird combination of Willie Taggart's identities with Brent Deerman's identities or, and, I don't know which one is taking over yet. Uh, I think you're seeing a lot of what Brent Tierman did at North Texas, but you're also seeing a lot of this, you know, the, the, what does really call it? the Gulf coast offense well, in, sure. yeah. you know, some of, some of, some of those identities and some of those philosophies have sort of combined and, you know, has it worked? Yes. You know, FAU still has a very effective offense, but the problem is that I don't know if they truly have their set in stone identity they may have too many thoughts and too many majors uh, you know, it's, I, I always liken college football offenses to like college students and the fact of like, you can take 16 credits a year, you can take 19 credits a semester, uh, but the workload's going to be too much. And same for an offense, you can try and do all these different things, but it may be too much on you at some point. And you have to just figure out what you're going to major in. What's your major? You know, what's the thing that you want to put out every single Saturday uh, as to this is what we're going to do. And you're going to have to try and find a way to stop us and. I think the bye week will do a lot for that in the sense of, you know, it's going to be simplified. They're going to really figure out what they want from the offense, and really, I feel like the bye week couldn't have come at a better time for FAU.
0: Kevin, you said that much more succinctly than I was able to because of that. It's kind of what I was trying to say is that you know, the, you have the Gulf Coast offense, right? Willie Taggart's run, and you also have what Brent Deerman's done, and and when when it's, and I'm not. I, <laughs> I hope I can explain this for the audience in a way that that is clear. Um, I'm not saying that if it's third and six, the two coaches are getting on a screaming match saying, I want to run this. I want to run that. But if, if, the, if the plays have to get sent in somehow and those decisions are going to get made, it, it, you know, is that going to be on third and six? We're going to follow something that Brent Dierman naturally may be able to. Or is Billy Tower going to say, hey, I kind of want to do this. And that plays a factor as well. So that's kind of what I was getting at. That's just a hypothetical uh, that I throw out there because Kevin, in my mind, to all right, what tab is playing? If well, Eric, real quick, if I may, uh, no, go, go for it, go for it. We'll 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 edit it so it's uh it's smooth. Go for it.
2: Yeah. So in the sense of what FAU was doing on offense and you sort of mentioned it is like, I don't know if it's, you know, Willie Taggart interjecting on third and six of what's, what does he want to run? But I feel like it's, you know, during the week, you know, I I don't know what's happening in those, in those rooms. I always say this, I don't know what's happening in a room, uh, you know, in a meeting room in a, in a coach's room because I'm not in there. So I can't speak to what's exactly happening, but it just, you know, is there this sort of sense that like Willie Taggart and Brent Deerman are meeting and someone's going, Uh, And again, purely speculative, like, is there someone going, you know, this is what I want to do on third downs. This is what I want to like. So, uh, you know, I don't know what exactly is happening, but this offense has some main uh, problems that keep happening, Uh, you know, particularly in the red zone. They're just not finishing, Uh, you know, third downs have sort of become a problem at times. So I, I don't know exactly why those things happen per se, but there are definitely some weird identities that are sort of trying to form, I feel like. So, Kevin, I'll kind of finish the second half of that thought and
0: you let me know. I feel like we're having a good discussion or so. I want to extend it a little bit. I'm going to use Western Kentucky as an example, right? Western Kentucky, even last year, they had talented running backs. I mean, you saw, you know, whether it was um, – oh, I am forgetting now the kid who's at uh, – Noah Whittington, the kid is at Oregon. Um, they brought in the kid from from North Dakota State this year. They have Kai Robichardt. Like they have running backs who – if those running backs were in different offenses and they were getting 20 carries a game – would probably rush for a buck 20, a buck 30, a buck 40, right? But they have a decided offensive philosophy, a pronounced offensive philosophy, right? It's not as you so eloquently wrote about. It's not chuck the ball around the yard, air raid, you know, Houston circa 1991, but essentially the identities all align, right? So you're not, you don't have that kind of confusion. In my mind, I look at FAU's roster, a great sum of pieces, Larry McCammon, Zuberi Mobley, talented pieces. LeJante Wester, Jaquan Burton, Jamal Endron, talented pieces, but we don't truly have an identity as to like, yo, this is gonna lead X. And I know you said it, Taggart said they want to do that, but in, in actuality, in 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 practice, in execution, they're not leading with the run to set up with the pass. I just I just don't see that, Kevin.
2: Yeah, I I don't either. It feels like there are some times where you see what the offense can be and you see these things of what the offense is. Uh, and, you know, it really is reliant on big time rushing plays. You know, I feel like they just don't have the consistency in the running game where, you know, you get, you're getting to four or five yards every couple of drives. And it's just, you know, four yards here, five yards here. maybe get a couple seven yards, eight yard gains. And then what you're doing is, you, uh, and I always like to explain this because it's so important, is you're bringing a safety down in the box and you're opening up so much more deep. Uh, FAU has hit some deep shots, but then at other times they're just not able to hit them because – Teams aren't necessarily, I feel like, scared of FAU to run consistently for five, six, seven yards. Uh and, and that's where running offenses sort of get their get get their money. That's where they get paid. They don't get paid because they have two 30 yard rush rushes in a game. They get paid because consistently you're getting six, seven yards and you know, you're keeping drives in these short third downs and you're allowing your defense or your offense to test teams deep and put stress vertically. Uh, i i recently in particular it feels like it's just sort of you know we're going to pass the ball here but there's no reason as to why we're running this play uh or this play and I, you know this isn't on a, a Brent Deerman or on Willie Tacker it just feels like right now this offense is sort of out of sync and you know it's sort of hard to put an offense back in the sync with two weeks of practice or two days, three days of practice. So we'll see how they look after the bye week. And, you know, it could be very well possible that after Rice, we're talking about an offense that looks far more in sync comparatively to like week one, where I feel you looked really good on offense or week two, where I feel you really look really good on offense. But recently I just feel like they're sort of going away from what they were early on the year. And, uh, you know, maybe it's that someone's opinion is getting put above someone else, but it just doesn't feel like this well-synced, you know, perfect machines uh, per se. All right, Kevin,
0: let's spin it forward to Rice. Uh, got you here for about another five minutes. Before we close this one up. We know what the Owls are going to look to do uh, for listeners. We're not familiar with Rice, of course, coached up by Mike Day, Their tagline has been intellectual brutality, something they brought over <laughs> from Stanford. I think it's one of the best taglines in all of college football. I love it. I mean, yeah exactly they're not quite as run heavy as they were in previous years quite frankly because it's only taken Mike Lundgren five seasons and trust me I've you know I've made note of that enough on the conference USA podcast he's finally appeared to have found a quarterback and that's played a big factor in the opening of really a, a bit of a passing attack for rice but still everything is going to be based off of the run game for them so Kevin want to ask you this um you know whether I mean of course, rice as a tj McMahon's going to be the quarterback he's thrown for a shade over a thousand yards even when you look at the rice rushing game overall um very much a sum of all parts i mean ari broussard is leading with eight touchdowns who's averaging 2.6 yards per carry cameron montgomery uh, 24 carries or 186 yards 7.8 yards a carry so still not quite the um you know the heavy emphasis on the run back when you know that like griffin and some other guys but still a very potent offensive look like the luke mccaffrey brad rosner and others so uh Kevin in my mind or in your mind i guess i should start there first regarding what i have to think about it um, how do you see this playing out you know i i think this is a game that if you looked at it before the season started you might think trap game but now entering uh you got to
2: almost go 50-50 game in my mind yeah i think this is a game where it's completely even uh you know i think you look at where FAU had been the last few weeks and compared to if you look at where Rice has been you know, Rice is a team that's sort of been—I feel like—the punching, the low-key punching bag at conference USA for the last few years, and it's yeah, but it's Rice, it's Rice. But they just went in and beat UAB, and honestly, I feel like they were the better team against UAB. And the the thing that has really impressed me about these Rice teams in particular is: doesn't matter what situation they're in, doesn't matter what uh, you know what quarter it is or what situation, what the scoreline is, they're going to find a way to win the football game. And that's what good football teams do—is they find ways to win football games. And uh, this one, I feel like, is going to be the true testing stick of what, what FAU is this year. Uh, FAU is finally, for the most part, healthy. It feels like, or seems like, Evan Anderson is closer to playing this week than he was any other week uh, since getting injured. And it feels like, if there was ever a game that FAU had all the pieces together to finally see what they are, uh, it would be this one. I think FAU. Let's let's be clear. I think FAU will win the game. Uh, I, I think that FAU just has more talent than Rice. But the thing that scares me about Rice is, as you mentioned, they're not as one dimensional this year. They're not just going to run the brakes off of you, even if that's what they want to do. They have this passing attack where you can't just stack the box and let them throw the entire game. And that defense is good. The defense that that defensive line is big. It's, it's physical. It can get in your face. And uh, you know, I think that FAU is going to have a problem, particularly there. Uh, You know, if the offensive line can't hold up for an entire game, there's going to be some concerns and some problems. But I think that FAU will find a way to win the football game. And I think it's going to come down to what FAU does best, which is running the football with with Zuberi Mobley and Larry McCammon, having the home crowd on on their side, you know, have not having to travel on the road. I think that this will be the game where FAU sort of at least for a week puts it all together. We'll see then if they can continue that going into the rest of that conference schedule kevin uh can you give us you know maybe some injury updates uh what's the deal on evan anderson and some of the other guys yeah so evan anderson has been practicing this week and coach taggart actually showed showed us a video of him running on the treadmill and he looked he looked better Uh, and it feels like there is at least a good chance that he can play um outside of that honestly most of those other guys have played through most of those injuries that they've had tj young uh, you know, missed a couple games. He seems to be healthy. Jaden Williams seems to be healthy. He, uh, I believe, was a little bit banged up for the North Texas game. So feels like overall they'll be healthy. Uh, it's just a matter of if Evan Anderson is ready to play this week or if it's another, you know, week thing. Is is, is it going to be that he's not ready this week, but he's ready next week? We'll see. Uh, Coach Taggart has not given us anything as to if he'll play or not. Um, we talked to him tomorrow, so maybe he will, but... It feels like this may be a game time decision in a way If uh, you know, we'll see how he feels Friday and then going into Saturday. But if he can play, it would be a huge boost for FAU, obviously. Kevin, we'll end
0: it on this. Uh, I made note of this because I did see the note that Willie Taggart talked about Evan Anderson running on the treadmill and I talked about it on the CUSA podcast was the video of one Evan Anderson who uh, was listed, or is listed at 6'4", 6'3", 350-something. Coach Tagger says he's big slim, so a little bit less than that. Nevertheless, uh, what did that video look like of a very large man running on the treadmill?
2: You know, Eric, it was so impressive. Uh, <laughs> it, I, Evan Anderson always surprises me when you watch him play, because it's like, how can a guy who's 350, maybe 340 pounds move as well as he does uh, and then you watch him on a treadmill, and you're just like, I, I think I said to myself again when he showed us and he pulled up the video on his phone. I went, "Wow, uh, did not know 340 pound men can move that fast and move that athletically." Uh, I, I think it's just a daily reminder that he's just a freak athlete, uh, you know, for his size and for his his you know pure length. I mean, he's just a freak athlete, uh, and it was. It looked like he was probably about 250 pounds running on that treadmill and not 350. Uh, so, daily reminder that Evan Anderson is a freak in a good way. <laughs>
0: he is Kevin Fielder. You can find
2: him on Twitter
0: at the Kevin Fielder, of course, because he is.
2: The I am. Kevin I am.
0: Can't confirm. <laughs> you can find this FEU coverage at Owls247. Of course, is American coverage at underdogdynasty.com. And last but not least, what I love about Kevin most, a fellow hoagie and sub enthusiast. Yes. Kevin, appreciate you making the time, my man. Absolutely, Eric. Anytime. Thank you all for listening. Happy football watching, and we'll do it again next week.